Thank you, Charlie. Good morning. I heard that over there. You like the sweater? Thank you. Thank you. One of the one of the things that I think is so prevalent often these days is our our study of scripture and and the preaching text invariably seem to be in the from the New Testament, the Gospels and, and the Epistles in there. And, and there's such a richness in the Old Testament. So I preach often from there, and, and this morning I'm back into the second book of the Bible, in the book of Exodus, and some of y'all have heard the name Moses before, I hope, and, and I'm going to unpack that a little bit for you. But, but I think one of the things that we don't do, we don't get back into the Old Testament because we think, well, that's, that's from thousands of years ago. Those people spoke a different language, they dressed different than we did, there couldn't be anything that was going on in their lives that have applications in ours, but, but I found it to be the opposite of that. The further back you go, the more perspective you have, the more insight you have, and the more you can connect what was to what is. And that's what I want to be doing today, is connecting what was to what is. And I hope to what will be in your lives. So I'm back in the, in the book of Exodus, the first chapter. I'll start with the eighth verse, and I'll pick up some into the second chapter, and then a little bit later on in the sermon, I'll go into the third chapter and pull some verses out of there. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in, in Egypt. Now remember the Israelites ended up down in Egypt because Joseph was there, and they were starving up in the land of Israel, and they had food in, down there in Egypt, and Joseph was in charge of all that. So that's how they got down there. They've been down there a long time. Joseph is dead, and, and now they're becoming a problem. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites, they become far too numerous for us. Come, we, we must deal shrewdly with them, or, or they'll become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, they'll fight against us, and, and they'll leave us. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and, and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name were Shifra and Pua, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, you see that a baby is born, kill him if it's a boy. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and, and asked them, you know, why, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. <laughs> Moving right along. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. 
Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to, to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. And Father, we thank you for your word in print and in Holy Scripture. And we pray today, Lord, that you would open our hearts and open our minds to, to receive that word, to let that word speak into our lives, so in your name we might speak into the lives of others. In your name we do pray it, Lord. Amen and, and amen. The Israelites were, were in slavery in Egypt for, for 400 years. And I read recently that, that during the 400 years that they were in slavery, that they almost surely witnessed an annual Egyptian festival. As a part of this festival, every Egyptian family made an image of their favorite god. Now, if you remember, the Egyptians worshipped a lot of gods. But in this festival, they could only choose one god to honor as their favorite. So as darkness settled on the festival day, each Egyptian family took their basket. They put in the basket the image that they had made of their favorite god. They closed the basket and then they fixed on the top of the basket a lighted candle. And then at that point in time, each family put their basket and onto the Nile River and let it drift away. Now, imagine that scene, if you would. Thousands upon thousands of little baskets, each containing the hopes and the dreams and the prayers of an Egyptian family. Thousands of little baskets with a candle on top, slowly making their way in a beautiful candlelit procession, drifting along, carried by the currents of the Nile River. Now perhaps, 
Perhaps it was during one of these annual Egyptian festivals that, that Moses' parents set him adrift in a basket and they disguised him like an Egyptian god in an effort to, to save his life. Now, we don't know that, of course. But there are some things that we do know. We know for sure that when Moses was three months old, he was put in a little basket and it was closed up and he was set adrift on the Nile River. And we do know for sure that Moses' sister watched that little basket. And as she watched, as she watched the basket, she saw Pharaoh's daughter find that basket, open it, and discover the baby Moses. We know that for sure. And we also know for sure that, that when Moses was nursed by his mother and then got to the age of being weaned, probably about three years old, the stories tell us, that then Moses was brought back to Pharaoh's daughter. And he was raised in Pharaoh's palace, disguised as an Egyptian prince. We know that for sure. We know, too, that 40 years later, this disparity in Moses' life, the disparity between who he really was and who he appeared to be, the disparity between his, his Hebrew identity and his Egyptian disguise, we know that when he was 40 years old, all that just kind of, kind of erupted up. It erupted when, when Moses was out and about, and, and he saw an Egyptian overseer beating one of the enslaved Hebrews. Moses relates to that Hebrew. He responds with anger. He kills the Egyptian overseer. And consequently, he has to flee for his life. And where does he go? He goes across the Red Sea to the land of Midian. And there he becomes a fugitive, hiding in that, in that wilderness land. In time, Moses married a Midianite woman. Her name was Zipporah. And he became the father of, of two sons. Now, what, is, what we want us to, to know for sure is that, is that for 40 years, Moses lived in the company of his extended family, an extended family headed by his father-in-law, Jethro, who was the priest of the Midianite people. Now, I want you to catch the picture here. Moses is a Hebrew man. He's hiding in the wilderness under the authority of the priest of a whole different religion. And as he does that, he's disguised. He's disguised as a Midianite shepherd. And then in the first verses of the third chapter of Exodus, we read this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. 
Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does, does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, Moses called, to, or God called to Moses, and he, and he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. Do you see what's happening in these verses? In a sense, God is disguised. He's disguised as a burning bush. Moses is in disguise too. Moses is disguised as a Midianite shepherd. And there in the middle of nowhere, the text tells us it's on the far side of the wilderness, out in the sticks, in the middle of nowhere, God meets Moses, and it's showdown time. And what happens? Moses does not recognize God, but God recognizes Moses and calls him by name. You see, Moses could fool the Egyptians and their god Pharaoh with his disguise. Moses could even fool the Midianites and, and their priest Jethro with, with his disguises. But Moses could not fool the God of the Hebrews. He couldn't fool the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And you know why he couldn't fool, fool God? Because God had knit Moses together in his mother's womb. God knew from the get-go what Moses' true identity was. And the thing is, God had plans for Moses. Plans that he had put in place before Moses ever saw the light of day. It was time now for, for Moses to drop all of his disguises. It was time for Moses to become the man God had created him to be. How old is Moses? He's 80 years old. 80 years old. But see, the thing is, before Moses could lead anyone, he had to quit playing games with everyone, including himself. God wanted Moses to, in essence, stand before the, the Israelites, before the Egyptians, before the Midianites, and declare his true identity. He, he wanted Moses to, in essence, say, I am a Hebrew, and I'm speaking for the God of the Hebrews. Let my people go. Now, that's what God wanted Moses to do. But you see, Moses was in a predicament. Moses knew he was a Hebrew. 
Moses knew he was a child of God. But you see, Moses has been hiding his true identity for so long that he's afraid to live like a child of God. And in short, Moses' fear of others is outweighed by his faith in God. Hear it again. Moses' fear of others outweighs his faith in God. Do you care about what other people think about you? Well, do you care more about what other people think about you than what God thinks about you? Well, see, that's the boat Moses was in. He cared more about what the people thought than what God thought. Friends, there are a lot of folks in worship services and Christian churches all around this great land of ours today. Lots and lots and, and lots of them. And the sad thing is that many of them are in the same predicament today that Moses was in 3,000 years ago. I, I wonder, could you be in that predicament? Could the opinions of others mean more to you than, than what God thinks about you? Could you be there? I call folks like that God's children in hiding. They were baptized a, a long time ago. They were, they were marked as children of God. But, but, but since then, they have been disguising themselves. Disguising themselves so that they would blend in with society. They wouldn't stand out as being a child of God. I, I wonder, are you one of God's children in hiding? Check yourself out. When others stopped, stopped reading their Bibles and started ignoring the truth of God's Word, that's what God's children in hiding did. When others stopped praying in the name of Jesus in public and at home, that's what God's children in hiding did. When others began to deny their sinfulness and their need for a Savior, that's just what God's children in hiding were doing. They wanted to blend in, wanted to hide out, didn't want to stand out. When others began to bow before the altar of political correctness and cultural whims, that's what God's children in hiding did. When others started acting one way in church on Sunday and, a, and another way in the community during the week, that's, that's what God's children in hiding did. Now, I'm not meaning to go around and point fingers. You know who you are. I'm just saying that over time, many Christians have become so secular in their approach to life that for all intents and, and purposes, they cannot be distinguished from all the folks out there who don't know a thing about Jesus, much less about God's grace and about, about God's forgiveness. And in this, and in this process... 
whether they knew what was happening or not, in, in this process, they've disguised themselves. Disguised themselves as children of the world. Like Moses disguised himself as an Egyptian. Like Moses disguised himself as a Midianite. He was a Hebrew wearing disguises. I wonder, are you a Christian wearing disguises? Moses was hiding in Egypt. And then he was hiding in Midian. Are you hiding in Bluffton? Test yourself. Now, this is the manual for life for God's children. You're living by the book. Test yourself. I mean, and I'm not going to go deep. I'm just a couple little easy things that you could do that others don't, that maybe you're not doing. Husbands, in the, in the Bible, it says that husbands are supposed to love their wives in the way that Christ loves his church. Jesus sacrificed himself for his church. I'm not looking for any huge sacrifice from you. God is, but I'm not. Just, just let's just start with some, some little things, see? Do you hold the door open for your wife? Do you help her with her chair when she's sitting down? Do you hold her hand in public so that other people know you're proud of her? Parents, the Bible says it's just to raise your children to know and, and love the Lord. I, I wonder, do you pray with your children at home? Grandparents, do you pray with your grandchildren? Do you read the Bible to them? You teach them about Jesus? Are you making sure that they're involved in the Christian education activities that we have for little people and, and teens? Everybody. The Bible says that we're supposed to give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. April 15th is coming up. Do you cheat on your taxes? Do you take deductions that you really shouldn't? Do not claim all of your income? See, these are little things. They're little things. They're things that children of the world do. But they're things that God's children don't. The Bible, the Bible says that you're to thank God for everything he's given to you. And it says the way to thank him is, is with a tithe, 
I wonder, are you giving God the tithe or are you just giving him a little tip? God's children live by the book. If you're one of God's children in Heidi, you're, you're not living by the book. And when you're, not, when you're not living by the book, you're living as if you're not one of God's children. And in essence, you're wearing a disguise. You're disguising yourself as a child of the world. Now, if you're one of God's children in hiding, then I got some good news for you today. And the good news is this. You're not fooling God. God knows your true identity, and he always has. Because you see, God knit you together in your mother's womb, just like he knit Moses together. God knew you before you knew yourself. He knows you all about you. And today, like Moses, he's, he's calling you by name. And what, what is God calling you to do? What's he asking you to do? He's, he's wanting you to say, drop your disguise. Come out of hiding. Be the person I created you to be. And if you listen close, you'll hear him. You can hear him whispering to you, I know you're afraid. I know you're afraid to kick your old habits. I know you're afraid of what, what other people might think. I know you're, you're afraid to, to really be one of my children because being one of my children now is so radically different than, than all this mess that's going on. But see, the thing is, friends, you've got to have faith. You've got to have faith. And you've got to have more faith than Moses had initially, see? You've got to trust that God has been working in your life when you didn't have a clue that he was working with you. He was working in your life when you were lost as a doodle. Because he had plans for you, see? He had plans for you. And without your even knowing it, all the years you've been alive, God's been working in your life. And you know what he's been doing? He's been preparing you to do his kingdom building work. He's been preparing you to fulfill the reason for which he created you. You're not here by accident. And he was doing that while you're wearing your disguises, while you're playing out there like you're a worldly person. See, see the thing is, God never wastes an experience. Now, you probably got some experiences in your life that, that you're trying to forget. God doesn't ever forget anything, see? But he doesn't waste anything either. Every time you got in the ditch, God redeemed that. And he wants to use it for his glory. Think back to Moses. While Moses was hiding for 40 years in Egypt, now he's wearing this Egyptian prince disguise. While he's there in those 40 years, he's learned all about that Egyptian culture. He's learned who the decision makers are. He's learned how everything works. He was learning all the information that he would need to go back to Pharaoh when he was 40 years old. 
when he's 80 years old and to tell him, let my people go. When Moses was wearing that shepherd disguise in Midian for 40 years, he was learning how to survive in the wilderness, keeping those sheep alive. And see, the thing what you might not realize is when Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt, where do they go? They go into the wilderness. They go into the same place that Moses had been taking care of those sheep. And Moses knows the water holes. He knows the trails. He knows how to survive in the wilderness. Kept them alive for 40 years as they made their way to the promised land. Now, I don't know what God's been preparing you to do. God knows. See? I know he's been working with you while you're wearing your disguise. I know he's got a plan for you since from before you were born. And I know this. The events of our yesterdays often turn out to be on-the-job training for glorifying God in our tomorrows. Let that sink in a bit. Let that sink in. The events of our yesterdays often turn out to be on-the-job training for glorifying God in our tomorrows. Happen with Moses. Can happen with you too. Now maybe, maybe you're not, maybe you're not going to do something as grand as parting the waters of the Red Sea for hundreds of thousands of slaves to go through. But see, the thing is, God might have been preparing you to do something even grander than that. God might be preparing you to walk across the street and tell your neighbors how Jesus can part the clouds of gloom and despair that are hanging over their life. Maybe you're not going to do something as grand as leading hundreds of thousands of Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. But see, maybe God has been preparing you to do something even grander. Like lead your child or grandchild into a saving relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're not going to do something as grand as bringing two tablets of stone down from the top of Mount Sinai and God's commandments are all graved on those two tablets. Maybe you're not going to do something as grand as, as sharing God's commandments with, with all those slaves down there. But see, maybe you're going to, God's be preparing you to do something even grander. Like serving in our food bank and showing others the meaning of God's great commandment. That we love him with our heart and soul and mind. And that we love the people who are standing in that line coming for a few bags of groceries. We're to love them as much as we love ourselves. See, the, the point, friends, is this. 
God has been preparing you to do his kingdom building work for your whole life. And today I want you to hear God saying to you to drop your disguise. At the age of 80, 80 now, Moses shed his Midianite disguise. He shed that disguise to get a new life. And the, the Bible tells us that when he did, his face began to shine with God's glory. At the age of 33, Jesus shed his human disguise to give new life to us. And the Bible tells us that God's glory shone through the resurrection. And today, at your age, see, God's calling on, on you to begin a new life. To let the light of Christ shine in you so that it can shine through you out into the darkness of the world. Close with a, a thought. Some of you are old enough to remember when there were no video games. Nobody carried gadgets in their hands. You didn't have this whole world of, of make-believe. You could make do with a stick. You could make do with a a piece of rubber ball cut in half. You could play baseball with that for hours. You didn't need gloves and all this stuff. Back in those days, it was a game that you could play you didn't have to have anything with. The game was called hide and seek. Any of y'all ever play hide and seek? Well, did you ever play the game so well that nobody found you? Well, if you did, after a while, you began to want somebody to find you because you started feeling alone. And at that moment, you began to realize that hide-and-seek is a game in which winning is losing. Because the real fun comes when you're found. Not when you're not found. The joy is there when, when the person finds you. Oh, you know. You carry on in all kind of ways when that happens, see. And you start smiling. You start laughing, see. Because the joy comes in being found. We're not children anymore. And yet many of us are still playing that childhood game of, of hide and seek. And undiscovered behind our disguises, we think we're winning. When really, we're losing. Because we're missing the joy 
of living into who God created us to be. We're missing the, the joy of, of using the gifts and talents he's given us for his kingdom purposes. We're hiding out with a disguised smile on our face. We're trying to convince everybody else that, oh, everything's just honky-dory. But we're crying inside. And if we're not crying inside, we're at least blah inside because we're missing the joy. Oh, my goodness. Friends, the time for games is over. It's time to, time to grow up. Real joy is waiting for you. When you have the courage to follow the book and live like one of God's children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're good at this, at this disguising game. We've had a lot of practice. Got it down. Got it down. We hide in the clothes we wear, the, the makeup, the whatever. And see, the world, the world encourages all that. We see the ads all the time. Buy this disguise, buy that disguise. Sometimes the disguise is a car or it's a, a new suit or some clothes or Botox, who knows what. There's all kinds of disguises out there. Come, Lord Jesus. Help us to be real. To be really who you created us to be. Give us the faith to trust you that as we live and, and breathe and have our being in you, that then we'll, then we'll have that peace that passes all understanding. We'll know that joy that passes all human understanding. Come, Lord Jesus, step into our lives in this new year. Take us to the book. Help us to walk by the book. In your name we do pray, Lord. Amen.